Hi, this is Gary York, founder of GGG Ministry. For the past nine years, my wife Gail and I have been hosting tent revivals in Waterman, Illinois, where the body of believers can come and encounter the presence of God and are encouraged to go out and minister to the world around them. We hope you enjoy this short message from our recent gathering this summer. For more on GGG, connect with us on our website, gggministry.com. bless you may be seated can we thank God for Gail and Gary for all that they have put together for this I, I, I love and cherish these people what do you think of all the effort it took to put this together do you think they've done a good job with all of this you know I, I notice details I notice how they put fans in strategic places. I know this sounds weird, but I even noticed the Kleenex boxes. I mean, you don't have to do that. They didn't have to do that, right? The little things they didn't have to do. The little things they provide. You know, they got water under every seat here in the front. It's just... I, I want to just encourage you and I'm not going to teach on this, but your offering has to match the value of your gratitude. Did you hear me? What you give to God, I'm not taking up an offering. I just need, this is the mindset of behavior. And some of the challenge that I have as a Middle Easterner, Born and raised in Israel, and it's, it's cultural. To show your gratitude of the value of what you've received. Are you grateful for what you have received in Christ? See, your answer is not good. Let's try that again. Is there anyone here grateful for what you have received in Jesus? Okay. You know, you, you, when you rinse your clothes, what we did when we were kids, my mom would rinse the clothes as hard as she can go to get as much water out as she can. But you know, she had, in those days, she would do the laundry by hand. And so to, before she could hang the clothes on the line in the backyard, she would hand it to me. I was young and strong then. And she would say, here, squeeze it some more. And I would just, she would take it as far as she can go. And then I would have to squeeze it to get the whatever a lot of water is, is still left in that garment before she would hang it. And I learned a principle. The Lord has kind of used me like this. Whatever your best is, I want to squeeze out of you. And measure more so you don't settle for less what God has for you. See, that's what I mean. Amen. Okay, let's try that again. We want God's best, right? You know, my son preached last night. Go to all nations. Preach the gospel of the kingdom. Cast out devils. Heal the sick. Set the captives free. But, but you have to preach the gospel of the kingdom. 
in order for these things to happen. And these things don't happen because we preach everything else. So you got to preach the kingdom. And if you notice anything about the king of the dome, there's nothing lacking. Everything is excellent. Everything is at its highest standard. Everything is most valuable. And therefore, anytime we come to God, uh, it's how many of you believe that we are to be intimate? We are to be close to God. So how many of you are married? Three people. Oh, come on. Okay, how many of you are in love with who you're married to? You know, there's nothing worse than expressing love and intimacy to your spouse and they respond lukewarm. Right? <laughs> You're not responding now? We have to be as intense in our response to what we have received. We have to be as willing, as excellent. We have to give back as much as we have received and how we Respond indicates the value of our worship, the value of our intimacy. And so we can talk intimacy until you're blue in the face. But if you don't squeeze all that you have in your life, I'm not just talking money, I mean everything. To reach the value of all you could be and do unto the glory of God, then your worship is truly compromised. And so I want to encourage you they put all the best that they could and spent a lot of their money. And we should never apologize because I study hard to bring you the word and I need you to listen hard to receive it. And these people have given us the best that they could and we need to give them the best that we can. I'm not going to, there's something I can't stand. Who's going to give a thousand dollars? When people do that, when I punch them, get violent, the old Middle Eastern thing comes out of me. So we're not doing any of that nonsense. But just give God the best that you can give. Sometime before this weekend is over, show God your love and your gratitude by honoring the people that he has put in our life and give back because we are thankful. Can you let him know one more time you're grateful? Yeah. I am uh, I'm honored. I'm honored today to be here with my sons. Uh, I have my son William and my son Harry and two of my grandchildren. We, I have 11 of them. 11 grandchildren and we're expecting more. I mean, maybe not out of these two. I think they're, they're done. Uh, but I, I'm just so grateful for, for all my family and I'm so grateful for what the Lord is doing in our life. And I've just been so honored this weekend, I feel like I've met someone that's bone on my bone, flesh on my flesh. But I just want to thank the Lord and honor to meet you, Solomon and Maria. Can we just let them know we're grateful they are here? Um, I, I asked them last night, so they live in Colombia. And I don't know if they heard me. I said, enjoy it while you can. Did you hear that part? Yeah. So that means that there's a time limit. All things are made beautiful in his time. And God has hindered because it's not time, but it's about time. Time is close by, and he's going to make changes. It's going to be a new beginning, another new beginning. 
Enjoy the honeymoon while you can because things are about to get busy. Well, are you ready for the Word of God? Open your Bibles with me to the book of Exodus. And this morning, I need to do my best um, I'm, I'm not sure how long do we have, Gary? Two people said 25, what? As long? And listen, it was hot as you know what last night. I was hoping my son would say, Yea, thus saith the Lord, tonight is a baptism service, all get in the water. Um, but I thank the Lord for last night and the word that he brought. I, I'm just so proud of my boy. Can we just let God know... I'm just so thankful. Uh, he's, um, you know, people think he's young, and, and he is in the natural. But in the spirit, he's always been very far advanced. When he was, I would say maybe three, I've shared this story in different places where we're sitting around the kitchen table, and... Um, you know, I've been serving the Lord since 1973. And I don't know how many years that's been. I'm 40 now. And I'm sticking with that. But, but I've been serving the Lord a long, long time. And um, so my wife and I, from early stages of our marriage, we dedicated our life to express the love of God, what God is in our life. Uh, Americans teach that God has three wills. There's his goodwill, his permissive will, and then his you're not Americans, you're citizens of the kingdom. Don't get offended. Because if you're offendable, you're going to get offended. Okay. But God does not have three wills. No such thing in scripture. You know, good, acceptable, and perfect, that's just English. Your English sucks. <laughs> Let's get that clear. The Bible is not written in English. Especially American English. Let's get that clear. So the word of God declares, listen, the word, the, the word, the will of the Lord is good always. Acceptable in the original means agreeable. When you agree with it, it completes it. So his will is good. And when you agree, it's complete. So the will of God is always perfect. God can't do anything less than perfect. You understand? And so we were never raised in the idea of, you know, God is first, your family's second, and your work is third. That's just nonsense. God is first, God is second, God is third, and God is A, and God is Z, and God is all that is in between. And you express Him in your family. You express Him in your work. You, you understand? And therefore, we've always believed that we are to show God to our children. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. That means the way that Isaac found out God is he learned the God of Abraham. Got it? Come on, just biblical culture. The way that Jacob knew God is he knew the God of his father Isaac. God is a generational God. God is the God of Abraham. Say it. So that shows you the family. 
in which God transmits who he is from fathers to sons. I'm not going to teach on this today. But the thing that's important is, so we've always wanted to express who God is in our life, not religiously, but experientially to our children. And when William was about three, he was sitting in his high chair having breakfast, and I'm asking the children, where did they come from? And my older son, who's a tremendous teacher, today uh, said, we came from mommy, mommy's belly. That's true. And then William, out of nowhere, I wasn't even looking his way, because he's the youngest, he's the baby, you know, he's drooling and all of that. And he said, I came from God. And I thought, wow. And I said, how do you know? I was shocked. I never told him that. He said, I remember. What? I mean, listen, rattled my mind. You remember? What do you mean you remember? His response, I haven't been out long enough to forget. It so wrecked me, I actually went to Scripture and began to learn. You remember when Job 38, God said to Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Anybody remember? The Hebrew reads, don't you remember when I laid the foundations of the earth? Don't you remember when the sons of God sang for joy? So we have to reawaken our beginning in God by revelation. Our revelation is our memory in the spirit. Y'all with me? And so I began to study how do we get back to remembering, reconstructing, rebuilding, being renewed, being restored, being redeemed, being reconciled back to our origination. All these are the prefix of going back. You know, one of the, the greatest things Jesus said, the greatest, he could not leave until this was done. In fact, he had to go to fulfill it. And he said, receive, say receive. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. He can't come until I go. We, I taught that the last time I was here. And it simply is, is describing, receive is what you have. Receive is to get back again what you've always had. Come back to the place of spirit. Chosen in God before the foundation of the world. And so we have created a mentality of needing God. You see, there has to come a point in your life where you stop needing God. Okay. We're grateful for God, right? And when we need Him, He's there. Say something. Anybody grateful for that? He's merciful. But wouldn't you like to get to the point where you don't need mercy again? I know that, see, this is where our mind has to grow. So I pray crazy prayers. Lord, I pray the day will come where I don't need your mercy. I pray the day will come that there is nothing going on in my life that I need you to help me. I look for the day where I can just reveal you. See, an amen would be good right there. To where there is nothing left that has to do with the restoration Come on. Have you ever restored anything? You see all the restoration going on over here? 
these people can't rest until it's done. How long do we keep getting restored before we are stored? How long is it going to take to get renewed before you're new? I used to restore cars. You know, it's like a nagging thing in the garage until it's done. And then you could drive down the road and say, it's finished. It's a place of rest. <laughs> okay. Well, we're not going anywhere there. Are, are you all getting this? Okay. We got to get back to our origination. The new birth, I haven't started yet, just so you can get, get your mind in the right position. Salvation is, is the rescue. Say that. Salvation is the, when you're saved, call upon the name of the Lord and you shall be saved. Saved is you're about to fall in and saves you. But that's not being born again. To be born again is in order for you to have a new beginning, new birth, so you can see the kingdom. John 3. Nicodemus never asked Jesus, how do I get saved? How am I to be born again? No such thing came out of Nicodemus' mouth. If you read it carefully, Nicodemus simply came to Jesus to let him know secretly at night that I am for you. Part of the Sanhedrin board, he's one of the leadership of the Pharisaical order, and he says to Jesus, I believe you're of God. And Jesus completely ignores his compliment and tells this the seasoned, well-known, wealthy priest. The kingdom is not coming the way you've been waiting for it. They've been waiting for the restoration of the throne of David. And they thought maybe, so Nicodemus is hinting, you may be the new king that's going to restore the kingdom. And Jesus, knowing his thoughts, says to him, unless you're born from above, you got to go back to your beginning. Unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom. Nicodemus asks, and, and by the way, Jesus never ever preached, be born again. Just think for a second. How many of you read the Bible? You will never read anywhere in Scripture that Jesus preached. Say preached. In fact, a lot of what he said was not public information. He would talk in parables. And then he would go aside and he would speak to his disciples and explain what he said publicly, privately. It wasn't public information. Just study scripture. So he says in the privacy of his meeting with with Nicodemus at night. To that man, you got to be born again to see the kingdom of God. You can't see it until you're born from above. We see Jesus teaching, when will the kingdom come? They asked him. And he said, it doesn't come by you, something you're going to see. It's not here. It's not there. Where is the kingdom of God? Talk to me, somebody. The kingdom of God is where? Within you. It's here. So whatever you've been waiting for, all that is of God has come already. Okay, here we turn. This is going to be a long afternoon. Let's try it one more time. 
Whatever you're waiting on for God to do in your life has already come to you. Say something. One more time. Whatever, and I mean whatever, you're waiting on God to do. He's already done it. God is not going to bless you. He's already blessed you. Your mind has to get caught up to what's already true. You can't be living in the past by facts. You have to be living in the kingdom by truth. Love does not set people free. Truth does. You got to know it. And the truth will make you free. So what we have to really get to is our mind has been the hindrance, has been the opposition to all that is true. And so though we believe from historical perspective, and I got to be careful how I say this, you see, most people believe in a past tense Jesus or coming one, and in the meantime, they're living in a position of desperation and need without the encounter of the union of who they are in Christ. Did you hear me? And so they're either waiting on the Galilean to show back up again. And so there's always a state of waiting. Now, I don't know what your, some of your doctrines are, but you got people waiting on a rapture, for example. God bless them. I'm not going to get into that because I don't know where your people are. If you want to fly, I hope it's soon so you can go. We got work to do. Okay. Um, I don't know how far I can go with this. Um, but, you know, I, gave, I got fired from serving God many years ago. So I stopped serving God in the sense of serving in the ministry. I used to serve in the ministry, which means you take care of the needs of people. And then I got delivered. I got fired. And I just wanted to live for God. So when I get up here, I just want to tell you about what I'm experiencing or have experienced and hope that you can receive it. If you don't like it, now, we used to do other things, but we can't do that anymore. But here's the reality. The reality is, I'm not motivated by anything but to bring change that has happened to me. Say something. And for that reason, um, you know, all that I ever used to know has always been what I was raised with. I've been raised in ministry. And so you repeat what you've been raised with until you go and you study scripture. Say study. You can't read the Bible. You have to study the Bible. And you have to remember that it's written in a language that is ancient and words don't communicate the same. And there's always things missed in the translation. And for that reason, it's critical that you understand the culture of the word, the culture of the mind of God, and what it is that God is after. And so you got to know from the beginning what was the plan of God. So I'm going to tell you this real quick. And then we're going to get to Exodus. What is the purpose of man? The image and likeness of God. One more time. What is the purpose of man? One more time. What is the purpose of man? What that means is, is that the reason you are created, why you are here, is to reveal the image and likeness of God. 
exactly the same. Right? The, the journey of man is the image and likeness of God. The calling of man is the image and likeness of God. What is the mandate of man? What is, no, no, what, what, so the purpose is image and likeness. You all with me? The calling, image and likeness. That is the journey, the image and likeness. The mandate is dominion. That means to dominate. Say it. Dominate from every flying fowl of the air, speaking of powers, principalities, to every creeping, annoying thing that bugs your brain. You have dominion over all from the above to the creeping things. I'm not teaching that now, but that's what it's meaning. God speaks in pictures. When God says for you to have dominion over the beasts of the field or the cattle of the field, He's not describing that you're going to jump the cow and it's going to obey you. Or that you're going to jump in the water and the fish is going to be submitted to you and you're going to swim better than the fish. That's not what it means. To everything that God created, He gave it what it needs to fulfill its call. That's why He didn't put fins on birds. He didn't put wings on fish. What God gave man is dominion. Dominate. Have dominion. The king's dome is dominion. The restoration of the kingdom is our calling. That is what it is that God has given us as our mandate, which means you have to dominate. To dominate means there is a wrestle. It's not just some religious thing you believe. It's something you got to live through. you got to overcome. You have to battle. You have to fight. You have to be willing to change. There's something God is after that you are to dominate over. Your purpose is the image and likeness of God. That means you're going to be just like Him. Because without you, God cannot be seen. Without you, God cannot be experienced. Without you, God cannot be encountered. God is omnipotent spirit. Omnipresent spirit cannot be experienced, cannot be known, cannot be uh, localized. God has one thing through which the conduit reveals who He is. How many of you love? Quickly, come on. How many of you love? You have to express it or it's not known. And therefore, God creates man to reveal himself. So what is God to you, listen carefully, is what you are to him. What is man to God? Why does God love you so much? Do you ever th stop and think, why? Somebody asked me why. Are you like worthy of his love? No. Any of us were? No. So why? Why does God love you so much? Because he loves himself. How else can, see God cannot deny you. Because he can't deny himself. You're the image and likeness of God. You ought to be happy or something. And so it's critical that you understand who you are to him. And you have to live to, in the reality of your purpose, what your mandate is. And so we got to come to the place where we understand as a man thinks, Proverbs 23, 7, as a man what? 
thinks where? In his heart. That's the subconscious of what he repeats. As a man thinks in his heart, so you want to you know what the word thinks is? I'm trying to get to Exodus, Lord Jesus. Are you hungry for the word? What, what, is, what is the word think mean? As a man thinketh, King James, in his heart. The word think in Hebrew means to open the gate. One more time. The word think there in that verse means as a gatekeeper that opens the gate. It's an entrance to another thinking. Just so you understand. As a Palestinian boy, raised Palestinian, Christian, just so you understand. All of our family history is Christian, Palestinian. So we're not Jews. Well, I, I have to explain that now. See, here we go again. Um, you know, I, I, I have to explain it to you, but, and I don't mean that you, it's just this culture here doesn't understand the difference between a Jew and a Hebrew. Abraham was not a Hebrew, but he was a Jew, which means believer of Jehovah, as a Chaldean. You understand? The father of faith was a Chaldean. That means Iraqi today. But he was the father of faith because he believed in Jehovah. And the Jew, what would be considered as a Jew today, is actually Hebrew. So in my culture, you are not known by what language you spoke because you can't say I'm, I'm Arab. How many of you are, are, speak English? Okay, now you're not responding. It's not a setup or anything. Obviously, you speak English. But that doesn't make you British. You understand? It's your language. So my language is Arabic, which is close to the Hebrew. But we're Christians. And back home, people are identified either being Christians, Hebrews, or Jews, that you would call Jews, or Muslims. So we were Christians. What they used to be called before Jesus is Jews, believers of Jehovah. After Jesus, Christians, same people. It had nothing to do with what language you spoke. It had to do with what you believe. Anybody here believe Jesus is the Lord? Anyone here believe he is the Messiah? You're a Jew. I'm a Jew. Christians. Our father is Abraham, Chaldean. <laughs> so it has nothing, your, your father is from Iraq. So if you're going to look at it from the natural seed, there is no such thing. They had multiple wives, all different backgrounds, pure seed. There's only one pure seed, and his name is Jesus. And if anyone has received the seed that is Christ, come on, he's a new creation. Help me a little. And so we have to understand it's not about your ethnic background. It's about your faith. As believers of God, believers of Jehovah, that is our origination. When I think back as a child, I didn't speak English. I'm still trying to learn it. Every law is broken in your language. And I don't know if when I say you, I mean you or you. I don't understand it. I don't know why you spell ugly with a U. It should be oogly. 
I don't know. I'm sorry, your language is weird, but I'm trying. I'm trying. So here's the thing. When God transforms your thinking, He changes your culture, changes your language, changes your values, changes your expectation, causes you to become a new creation. So God is not in the business of repairing you. He's in the business of replacing you. And what he's replacing you to is who you've always been. And so he's got to get rid of the debris you've accumulated by what your mind has learned from your birth until today and what has formed your attitude, behavior, culture, conduct. And what God is after is to renew your mind. And by renewing your mind, he reframes you back to your origination. And your origination is God. So if I was to erase your face, male, female, what you've been through, whatever your life hardships have been, and I go to the essence of your beginning, I find God. And now we want to pull God out of you. So you can encounter all that is already done in you. Say something. And in order for that to happen, we have to get rid of what does not belong. And so Michelangelo was given the big, huge marble to pull out of it the image of David. And after he was done, the Pope asked him, how did you do this? He said, I just removed what doesn't belong. So when we get together in times like this, we chisel away it wasn't, does not belong to you. All right. Because it's already done. You're already whole. <laughs> You're already perfect. You're holy and righteous. See, you don't believe it. One more time. As God is righteous, you heard it last night, you are already righteous. You are already holy. So we got to get your thinking to change in order for the manifestation of what is true. Say yes. Exodus chapter. So God is always in the, build, in the rebuilding stage. Exodus chapter 13. If you would go there with me quickly. Can we just have a lesson this morning? Is that all right? We learn. As, as powerful as God is, there's something God cannot do. So I need you to listen very, very carefully. As omnipotent as our Creator is, there's something about His nature and it came to pass in verse 17, Exodus 13. Are you all there? It came to pass when Pharaoh had to let the people go, that God led them. Say led. God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest preventure the people repent, change their thinking, when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea and the children of Israel went up harnessed, dressed up, armed out of the land of Egypt. They were dressed like an army. And so God finally gets Pharaoh to let the people go. 
And God says, if I take them the short way, the straight, cut, through way, if I'm going to take them from here to bring them there, and it's near, they're going to face the Philistines. And these people are not ready for war. So I'm going to take them around the long way because once they're confronted by war, they're going to go back to Egypt. And all that I've done is going to be naught. It's going to come to nothing. And so write this down. Outside of the Holy Spirit in the believer, the will of man is the most powerful force on earth. Again, and I'll explain it a little bit, a little, just, just follow. Outside of the Spirit of God in you, but even the Spirit of God in you cannot force your will. So the most powerful force on earth is the will of man. People are not sent to hell. They decide to go there. People decide to live in heaven or live in hell. This is why it's not easy to follow Jesus. It would be great, wonderful, if Jesus every morning was to just grab us by the collar and drag us along to follow him. Kicking and screaming, he just drags you out of bed and forces you to follow him. And even though you're just kicking and screaming, at least you're following but that's not how he operates. Why? Because God wants obedient sons, not conditioned slaves. And so God says, if I'm going to take these people the straight way, the hard way through the Philistines, they're going to face war. They're not equipped for war. And so I'm going to take them the long way. So what God is after Jesus said it like this, whosoever will, whosoever what? Whosoever will, let him come. Verses again, 17 and 18, the New Living Translation says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs through the Philistine territory, even though that was the shortest route to the promised land. God said, if the people are faced with a battle, they will change their minds and return to Egypt. Verse 18, so God led them in a roundabout way through the wilderness towards the Red Sea. Thus the Israelites left Egypt like an army ready for battle. So they might have looked like an army, but they couldn't fight their way out of a paper bag. And so God takes them the long way. By the way, this message is not about them, it's about us. It's just it's a picture. God's greatest challenge, you might want to write this one down. God's greatest challenge is to change the mind of former slaves. One more time. God's greatest challenge is to change the mind of former slaves. The extent, the patience, and the journey God will go through to change the mind of a man is nothing short of amazing. His greatest challenge, listen, it is his greatest challenge. With all the power of God, God could not change the mind of more than two million people that he miraculously took out of bondage. Their stubborn mindset was so powerful 
that it was easier to take them out of the power of Pharaoh than out of the power of their own thinking. I need you to hear this. Drowning Pharaoh and his army was not a problem. Sending ten plagues, no problem. Turn the Nile River into blood, no problems. God's powers proved to be so terrible against the Egyptians that they could not wait to get rid of these slaves. But once God got them alone out in the desert, that's when God's troubles began. It is easier to deliver them from the power of oppression than the oppression of their own thinking. Are you all hearing me? Miracles don't change minds. Miracles do not change people's thinking. How many of us experienced as many miracles as the children of Israel? None of us. Have you ever had food fall from the sky and when you didn't like what you were receiving, God changes the menu every morning? Have you ever had, you know, when you complain, God changes the menu? Have you ever had water for 40 years breaking out of a rock without a water bill? Anybody? No? Have you ever seen God do what he's done among the children? Your shoes, your clothes don't wear out for 40 years? I'd like to find those shoes. I love shoes. Have you ever seen sick people? Instead of going to the hospital, all they have to do is look at a pole, a brazen serpent on a pole, and they are healed. Free health care in the desert. Would you call that a miracle? Talk to me a little bit. But you have to pay for health care, don't you? How many of you have ever been led by a pillar of fire at night and cloud by the day? None of us. So it would be nice today if God would just make it that clear as he used to then. Now more than ever, we've got to get to the place, listen to this. We have to see what God went through. What God went through. I have a burden. The sufferings of God. I'm not going to teach you this now, but that I may know him, Paul said. Philippians 3.10, you all know it, right? That I may know him. Come on, help me. The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his, what is that? Is that sick and cancer and oppression and poverty? No, no. It's what God has to wait for, what God has to carry, how long God has to endure to bring it about, this is how gracious God is, to bring about the fulfillment of what God has desired. And so when we think what it is that the people put God through. See, God needs a place of rest where he doesn't have to labor. A Sabbath. I may be preaching tonight. I don't know. We'll find out. And if I am, I'm going to talk about the Sabbath of God. Are you all coming back? I mean, if I'm preaching or not, you should be here. I guess you're not here for any other reason, right? And if you have other cha plans, change them. Verse 17, even though they were free now from bondage, free from Pharaoh, they didn't know how to fight. So God said, if the people faced a battle, they'll change their thinking and return to their old life. So in other words, if you're going to face any kind of trouble, They'll go back to Egypt. God here is protecting them from themselves. So instead of the normal short route 
God takes them the long way around. If you, um, listen carefully, if you fly out of Cairo and you fly over to Tel Aviv, the journey, you can actually see both locations from your window. It's not that far. For these people to go so long, it's actually mind-boggling. Approximately a 35-day walk, but it took 40 years, the long, long way around to Canaan, the land of promise. They couldn't, they could have been there in a month. But even after 40 years, many of them walked to nowhere and died in the wilderness. Somebody asked me why. Because the mind is more powerful than the promise. They were slaves for 430 years. In oppression, they were protected. In oppression, they were protected by the oppressor. They could not fight. Listen, they were conditioned to be servants, slaves. All they knew to do is build with brick and labor in the field. For the children of Israel, slavery became their lifestyle and they could not handle deliverance. God wanted to serve them and give them their own land, but they could not handle being free. They were conditioned slaves. People are slaves to many things and consequently have it in their subconscious and they concluded that they don't deserve it. They may dress up like an army, Christians, but the route to promise is going to require a fight. A route to promise is going to require a fight. Say that. The route is going to require. That's why Paul said, 2 Corinthians 3, 13, 5. 2 Corinthians 13, he says, examine yourself. I'll touch more on that later. Whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be a reprobate. That means self-rejected. In him you've been set free from the bondage of your old self and have been placed as a son, Romans 8.15. Now you have to believe you not only deserve it, it's your right. It belongs to you. Say amen or something. And so people subliminally reject themselves because of a conditioned slavery and consequently cannot receive the success that belongs to them. They subconsciously sabotage themselves even unknowingly. So here's what the scripture is saying about God's attempt to change the mind of man. The shortest way to success has got trouble in it. The shortest way to success has challenges in it. Remember, your mandate is dominion. So to the right, to the right mind, trouble is not necessarily a bad thing. But to the mind of the children of Israel, who were not ready for battle, they could not face it. So God takes them the long way to prepare them. Overcomers are not just born, they're produced. Somebody ought to say amen to that. So in Exodus 13, we see that God knows where the enemies are because he said he led them. That means he planned their enemies ahead for their development. God did not handle these enemies the same way he handled Pharaoh, which means these enemies are part of the program. Y'all with me? 
Y'all doing all right? Y'all getting something? Is your mind working? Is it being changed? Thank you, Jesus. So listen carefully. If you want to get to your desired destination directly, you can. If you want to get to your desired destination directly, you can. As long as you know it's going to take a fight out of you to fight the conditions of your old mind. You with me? If you're not ready for that kind of fight, then God is going to have to take you the long way around to end up in the same place of success. People circulate not because there's something wrong with the enemy or there's something wrong with trouble. People circulate because they can't handle the direct course. God does not want people to get back in defeat, go back to their old life. So he takes them on the long, easier journey to work on their minds and attitudes until he can bring them to the place that always belongs to them. So verse 18, God led them through the way of the wilderness. He didn't just get rid of their enemies, but planning to use them for the benefit of his people. This means that the opening of the Red Sea was the easier route. I'm going to say something I don't want you to miss. The crumbling down of the walls of Jericho was the easier route than the territory of the Philistines. They needed miracles. They would not have needed all those miracles if they could have defeated the Philistines. Miracles were the long way. Are you all hearing me? Because when you need a miracle, it just brings you back to where you're supposed to be. Okay. I'm, I don't feel like I'm working hard enough, but it's hot. Um, how many are grateful you get a healing? Anybody grateful you receive a healing? How many of you would be more grateful if you never needed to receive a healing? Healing brings you back to where you belong. It's really not so great. <laughs> okay. Getting a miracle is great, but it's not really. Oh, God set my son free. That's good. But God, thank you that my son has never needed to get free. I'm going to say something now. It's not in the notes. I hope you can receive it. Say amen or something. Open your mind. See, the enemy, the serpent, the devil, uh, not the fallen cherubim. Let's not go there. The serpent. You know the serpent from the tree? Subtle more than all the other creatures. Always been a devil. Never been anything but a devil. He's a devil. He can't tell the truth because there's no truth in him. Father of lies. The devil, he's a necessary tool. God put him there. How did he get there? I always used to ask God, why do you need a devil for? Like, why put a devil on, on why don't you put the devil on Mars? Why on earth? Why on a tree of good and evil? One tree. How many of you like it when something is good? It's evil. One fruit, good and evil. Not two trees, one tree. 
Maybe I'm not doing, last time I preached, I had a butterfly. Today I got flies. So I, I, maybe I'm not saying something right. But, hey, follow carefully, follow carefully. The enemy does not need to sell you sex. Your flesh does that. Greed, your flesh does that. What the enemy is after is for you to do something good. So you can feel good about yourself. It's called religion. The enemy is the chief of the Pharisaical order. He has a synagogue named after him. Jesus called it the synagogue of Satan. <laughs> you workers of iniquity. They still do miracles. It's good. It's just not life. You got to get to the life tree. Say something. Life tree. What we need is the life tree. Because the enemy will keep you busy with good. Doing good. And it's good. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's good. So pe people teach things to make people feel good. I'm okay with it. I mean, it's good. I guess it's good. Do good works. That's good. But good, it can also be used to keep you from the life. And so we've concentrated on making sure we do the good part of the same evil. Help me a little. Are y'all getting this? Two trees. Tree of life, tree of good and evil. The tree of good and evil God puts in the middle of the garden. Doesn't put a fence around it. Doesn't protect the man. Doesn't, don't, don't touch it. It's going to kill you. No, no, no. God says, you see all the trees. You can eat of all of them. You see this one? This is the tree of life. You can, oh, but this one. Oh, this one. Like you point it in front of the child. Adam was an idiot. The Bible calls him silly. The Hebrew. Adam was, you know, he was a, a, a red-faced embarrassment. Whose name means. And he was a born man without a childhood. Jesus was born baby. Learned obedience by the things he suffered. Abraham learned nothing. Stupid man. He knew about sex and his wife, period. <laughs> okay. The man is created, brought out of God, as a man able to father children, having no idea what life and death was. So God says, the day you eat of this tree, you surely die. Okay. What does that mean? There's been no death. He has no idea. There's never. How could you rule the universe having dominion, having no idea how to operate in authority? I mean, he was tempted because the, the serpent came to Eve and said, if you'll eat of the tree, you'll be like God. She should have responded, you stupid devil. I'm already like God. So if I, anyone comes to you and says, don't you want to be like Jesus, and you put your hand up, you ate of the same tree. Fallen again. Because someone has deceived you for you to conclude you're not there already. So don't you want to be, if I come to Gary and say, don't you want to be Gary York? 
Yes. This is the problem with man. They have no idea. You already there? You idiot. Not you, you know. And so if Gary says, I want to be Gary York, what Gary just identified is that he has an identity crisis. He wants the good thing. He just doesn't know he's got it already. Had Eve responded, you dumb devil, I'm already the image of God. When you see me, you see God. Had that happened, she would have never fallen. But you see, the plan of God was never the first Adam. The plan of God has always been the last Adam and the Lamb was slain from the foundation of the world before there was a fall. And so, this is a plan. Y'all get, y'all got it? Now God brings us to the place where we don't want to do the good, we want to do the life. We want to live the life. And God knows for them to get to the right destination, they have to fight. And in order for them to fight, they're going to have to face the Philistines. But these people are not qualified, so God has to wait on a worshiper like David to defeat the Philistines. In the meantime, these people, you see, listen carefully. The problem is not the problem. Say that. It's how you interpret the problem. Mature, well-developed believers would see problems as opportunities and difficulties as preparation for achievement. But the immature, unskilled believer would see the problem as an overwhelming, chaotic, demon-infested, devil-dealing, destructive element to destroy their life. The devil, the devil, the devil. Shut up about the devil. Prisoners who've been in prison a long time cannot handle freedom. They will commit crime to get back to the comforts of oppression. Their minds have adjusted to slavery, so they find comfort in oppression. Slaves don't have to do anything to be slaves, just be slaves. But it takes effort and discipline to be an overcomer. Somebody say yes. The children of Israel actually complained to Moses that he took them out of the land of bondage to bring them to the wilderness so they can die as if though he forced them out of the freedom of their slavery. So what kind of people are these? They are complaining Christians. Not you, just Christians who don't know who they are and have been conditioned to being slaves. And there comes a point in every believer's life where they're confronted by the Holy Spirit of God to take action and exercise the power of their will. I'm going to say that again. There comes a point in every believer's life where you are confronted to make a decision using the power of your will, the most powerful force on earth, to make a decision by the Spirit of God to change your life. We are there. Say that. We are in the point now where we must make, see in order for God to do what God wants to do in this world, He has to find some people that can fight. How long was it from God that He spoke to Moses? 
at the burning bush to the time the children of Israel left Egypt. Does anyone know how long it took from the time God spoke to Moses at the burning bush to the time the exodus took place? You want to take a guess? No. <laughs> Moses was 80 years old when God spoke to him at the burning bush. Moses was 80 years old when, they, when he was walking with the people of Israel out of the land of bondage. Moses was 80 years old when he walked in and still 80 years old when he walked out. He spent another 40 years in the wilderness and died at 120. So that means from the time God spoke to Moses at the burning bush to the time of deliverance, scholars have believed it took approximately 40 days from the time, did you say 40 days? 40 days, exactly right. 40 days from the time God spoke to, to Moses at the burning bush to the time they left Egypt. 40 days, follow this carefully. 40 days from the time he and his brother walked into the palace of Pharaoh to the time the Israelites left Egypt with all of their wealth. Within that time, God rained down 10 plagues on Egypt. The last one took one night. Listen carefully, this is their Passover. And then God took 600,000 men who were over 20 years old and all of their families, all of their flock, and freed them from the land of bondage and brought, took out all of their wealth and brought them into the place where they're on their journey to the land of their promise. But God could not change the mind of his people for 40 years because the will of man is his own God. The will of man is his own God and therefore God could not change their mind. Matthew 12, 50, Jesus said, Whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother, my sister, and my mother. What identifies his family are those who do the will of his Father. Therefore, please write this down, obedience determines identity. Obedience determines identity. All the children of God were freed from bondage, but only those obedient entered the promised land. The will of God is fulfilled in our life only when we are able to come out of the old life and step into the new one. Jesus, like we heard last night, not everyone that says, Lord, Lord, will enter his kingdom. And so it's critically important that we understand what we are after is those that will do the will of my Father, he said. The word will here means the determination. The purposed, purposed determination. It's describing not that you accomplish, but you have the will, the pursuit, the chase, the determination to fulfill the will of God in your life. It's describing a journey. It's a what? Come on, talk to me. It's what? It's a journey where you are after it. It's a pursuit. God is after your pursuit to come to the fulfillment and the determination to act, to choose. So even at times when we fall short, but God is after the condition of our hearts being fixed on pursuing the purpose. That means we're determined to will it. He is the God that works in you both to will and to do according to His good purpose. Philippians 2.13 That does not mean He is forcing His will on you. 
It means he's working in you. Not only to will it, but to also do it according to his plan, according to his purpose. King David did not do everything right, but God said of him, Acts 13, 22, God raised up David to be a king over his people and testified, I have found a man after my own heart who will do my will. The Greek says, the, the original Hebrew says, he will fulfill my will. It means he is going to remain, he's going to abide, he is going to bring forth. Jesus said, he that abides in me and my words, abide in him, he will ask what he will. So notice, it requires a pursuit. It requires a determination. It requires a will that is pressed to follow after an abiding purpose. Our God is in the business of making, forming, and equipping. He takes pleasure in performing, in producing. He's the God of creation. He never said, let's pop man in the image of God. He said, let us make man in the image of God. He takes pleasure in making overcomers. Are you all hearing me? Working in you both to will and to do according to his purpose. Revelations 2.26 To him that overcomes and keeps, maintains my works to the end. To him I will give the power over the nations. I'm almost through. I need you to hear this very, very carefully. What God is after here is a people that are pursuing. Listen carefully. The will of God is a journey and obedience determines the duration. One more time. The will of God is a journey and obedience determines the duration. The promises of God are always made with this admonition to the seven churches of the book of Revelation. Each church received this admonition. At every closing admonition, the Lord said, to him that overcomes, only the overcomers received the promises. The word overcome itself is a fighting word. It means to subdue, to conquer, to prevail. It's the same thing God said to man. Take the dominion. It means to have victory. Having victory means there's going to be a fight. Anybody hearing me? So God is after some people that can fight the direct course. But what it's going to take to be able to win the battle, if my brother Jim can come back to the keyboard. You see, the will of man is the seat of control. It's where his heart is. The center of his being is the most powerful force on earth. Somebody ask me why. God said, Now listen carefully to the words, okay? I, I, I want you to pay attention to what God did not say as much as what God did say. God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the earth and all that is in it. 
The psalmist said, The heavens belong to God, but the earth He gave to man. Our destination is not heaven. Our destination is earth. And God is after a new creation that will produce a new heaven and a new earth. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. What happened in the day of Noah is when they stepped out of the ship, they stepped into a new old earth. Same earth, but it's new. Something fresh. Something restored. It's a new earth. I will make all things new. Someone say something. I want you to hear this. The reality is, God never said, let us have dominion. He said, let them have dominion. So for God to come to earth, he's intruding, trespassing, according to his own word, if he comes without a man. One more time. Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them, he didn't say let us, let them have the dominion. And God placed man as his representative through whom God can work the will of man in the earth that fulfills the will of God. That the union between man and God is the same. And since that time, when God repented, he had to find a man to start again. So he raised a man named Noah. When he went to raise a people, a nation, he called a man named Abraham. When he wanted to deliver his people out of bondage, he called a man named Moses. When he wanted to set creation free, he came as the man, Christ Jesus. Say something. Without the man, he is intruding. He is out of order. He's breaking his own constitution because his own governmental order was let them have dominion. And so the condition of this world, it's not why God has done this, it's why man has done this. God comes in Psalms 82 and he says, do you not see the whole world is off course? Did I not say you are gods? Children of the Most High? If you didn't end it with children of the Most High, it'd be considered heresy. So we can't just say we are gods. Thou shalt have no other image before him. But we are the children. Say it. Children of the Most High. We are the God's family. Got to hear it again. I didn't say you're the family of God. You are. But that sounds so uh, not complete. You are the God family. Say it. You are the. So let us. Say it with me. Come on. Come on. One more time. Oh, he's talking to us. You know, people say who was talking to Jesus and the Holy Ghost. Really? Where do you read that at? Well, there's three of them. Shut up. Don't get mad. There is three expressions. I'm not going to go there because this always ticks people off. 
and I want you to back, so I'm going to be nice. You are spirit, soul, and body, three expressions, one person. Hear you, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, but has three expressions. We're we good? We're we good with that? Father, Son, Holy Ghost? You happy? Okay, I can't tell if you're happy now. Are you happy? Uh, there's nowhere in Scripture, it drives me crazy when people add stuff where God came to the Son and said, listen, they've ruined the plan. You want to go down there? I didn't see this coming. The devil fooled me down there. And now I need a redeemer. Can you go down there and fix it? You're going to have to die for their sins, these idiots. Did God say that? I mean, what do I have to do with an idiot man naked in a garden? Why do I have to go to hell? Because he's an idiot. I wouldn't have eaten the tree. I wouldn't even want to be produced. I was already in God. Just leave me the heck alone. Why come out? Unless there's a purpose in it. One day, it's Wednesday night. I finish service. It's late. I always fellowship with the people. And this visitor comes. I welcome him earlier. He stands in line. He comes to speak to me after service. Pastor, can I talk to you privately? Sure, just let me get done with the people and we'll talk. So people leave and it's just him and I alone in the building. So we go sit in my office and this guy's got muscles from down his earlobes, down his shoulders and he's like, and he's huge. And he sits in front of me in my office, got a pouch. And he says, I just want to know if you're in on the conspiracy against me. My father, who is the head of the hospital organization in the area, has persuaded a lot of preachers and people of government to kill me by poisoning me and I think your brother is in on it and I want to know if you're part of the plan to kill me I'm like what now I just want to go home I said no I, I don't know what you're speaking about what plan so he starts telling me how his father is wanting to get insurance money and how powerful his father is and the preachers are in on it and now are you in on it too so I said what's in the pouch he said a gun I said why do you bring a gun to church he said because if you're in on it I want to kill you before you kill me I said let's pray what do I do here I mean, I got nervous. I'm thinking, Lord, I got my wife. My I want to go home. I don't ever want to pastor ever again. Here's a huge guy with a pouch and a gun in it who believes that we're after him to poison him. He's got this crazy story. So I said, let's pray. And immediately the Lord speaks to me. And I heard God say, and I had never thought this this way before that point I never studied it this is what I heard let us that's you and me God speaking to me in my heart let's you and I make this man into our image after our likeness so he can have dominion now my brain completely shifts 
from worried about the man with the gun than trying to understand what I just heard. Thinking, what? Now revelation hits my heart. Wow, this is a revelation. I'm going to preach this. So I began to tell him, do you know who you really are and who your true father is? He's got his hand on the pouch. He's like, no, 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 not that father. I mean your heavenly father. Do you know what image created you? Who you're exactly like? Who's come to give you life? Who you are in him? And if you'll allow me, I will teach you who you truly are and deliver you from your father and prove to you who your true father is. He says, you want me to come to your church? I said, if you want to learn of who you truly are and who your father is and I am your brother and you're the image and likeness of God, you will have freedom. You will have dominion and your God of heaven will protect you from anyone out to kill you. And he asked again, you want me to come to your church? Well, not really, but I need to live. So I didn't say that, but I'm thinking it. He said, so I could come to church? I said, you'll be here Sunday, no gun. And I will teach you. From that Sunday forward, he comes dressed up, no gun. Eventually, he becomes part of our ushers. He's huge. He stood guard, serves, protects people annoying me. He comes, Pastor, you want me to get rid of them? No, they're good. Just go. Get back there. And Philip became one of our wonderful members, and I watched God reform his whole life. Why? 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 Because let us, let us, somebody say us. Let's tell your family. Ah, let's tell your friends. Let's tell your loved ones. Let's tell those you care about. Let us make men. Let's make them. Let's produce them. Let's make men in our image after our likeness that they may have dominion. Because you see, don't you know who you truly are? Paul said, have you examined yourself? Do you not know your true self? How Jesus Christ is in you? You want to hear the original? Do you want to hear the original? The original doesn't have the Greek word in. Christ in you insinuates there's two of you. We've always been raised from the time we're children. There's me and then there's Jesus in me. That's sweet, but it's incomplete. How it should read is Christ me. As he is, so are we. It's a we thing. Say it. It's a. To be the full expression of Jesus. To truly want to live the life of Christ. He never taught two-ness. He always taught oneness. That they may be one. Come on, help me. Even as we are one, that they may be one as you are in me and I am in you, 
that there may be one in us is anybody hearing me unless you are self-rejected and a reprobate you don't believe it examine yourself no one can do this for you you have to do this to see whether you are in the faith prove your own self how Christ is in you you it's you it's you he's the head of a body do you have do you plan to have children so when she's going to get pregnant I see her pregnant when she gets and it's going to just bring fulfillment when she gets pregnant you think Solomon here is going to see the head. It's okay, we're done. Let's go. Or are they going to wait for the feet? How beautiful are the feet of them that bring the good news? Jesus Christ. Listen, there's only one Jesus, but the Christ is plural. The word Christ, Christos, is the Hebrew word Messiah. It's plural. Plural. born of the flesh or the will of man those born of God and the word became flesh I need you to see this anybody here born of the will of God okay I know you're born of the will of man you're born of the flesh but did you get born again anybody here born again born of the will of God anybody born of the will of God and and just read it John 1 and say and what does and mean I mean you people speak English what's and it's got it's not done yet hey you want to go for lunch sure where it's not done yet all them born of God and the word became flesh dwelt in and among us so we can behold his glory you gotta see this Jesus Christ came as one man but left a body his feet are on the earth his head is in the throne the earth is his footstool heaven is God's throne the earth is his footstool he doesn't need you in heaven he needs you to rule the earth thy kingdom come no thy will become Become in earth. That's you. Not on in as it is in heaven. Earthen vessels that are the kingdom of God in the earth. Are you here? The kingdom is here. Oh, you ought to say something. Be happy. Rejoice. 
So here's, here's the conclusion. You see, to use my son as an example, if I was to show you pictures when I was young, with dark hair, I was taller, slimmer. But my wife will show pictures that my mom gave her. And I don't look like my son. My son looks like me. Or at one time. The reality of the seed that gives it glory you can't just sing glory. You got to reveal glory. Glory is revealed. And God does not give glory. God receives glory. We are glory producers. We give Him glory. How do we give Him glory? We reveal Him. When someone says to me, the highest compliment, when I hear your son, I hear you. You know, that's fulfillment because now he can take it from here. I'm tired. I want to hang out with Gary on his porch. And my son can preach. Let him do the work so I can rest. God wants to rest. The only day that has no end. First day, morning and evening. Second day, morning and evening. All the way to the sixth day, morning and evening. But it comes to the Sabbath. It has a morning. It has no evening. It has no end. But God is still looking for people to enter rest. Sabbath. So I stopped waiting for Jesus. Can you stand on your feet? You promise you'll be open to this? One person, anybody else? to say this right as long as there is me and then there is Jesus there's a gap between him and I there's a gulf he's up there I'm down here and I look for him I need him and I do and I do look for him but he came and took down the middle wall a partition that separated us Ephesians 2 and off two he made one new say that off two he made one new say it one more time please out loud of 
He made, he made one new. So that means I'm no longer separated. I can't see myself separated. I can't think separated. I can't believe separated. I've examined myself, proved my own self, checked out my own faith to see if I believe that am I one with him and he is one with me or am I still separated? As long as in my mind I am separated. Now I don't go telling people I'm Jesus Christ. That's not what I'm saying. But when you say I am in Christ, Christ in me, the hope of glory. You're saying the same thing, but I don't know what it means to you. But what it means to me is, He's not coming for me. He came already. I know He's going to come in all of His glory. I'm talking about me now. For all of His glories, when there's a people that have been brought to a position and place where there's no spot on wrinkle, and they show the glory of God. That means they've come to the union where they can reveal Him. How else can He come? But in and through a people before every eye shall see Him. And therefore, you have to stop looking separate because the highest expression of your life is Jesus Christ. Oh, come on. The value you paid for something indicates its worth. The price paid for you was Jesus. Did you receive Him? Did you lose your old identity? Did you receive His identity? Did you die with Him? Were you raised into a new life with Him? That means you're no longer who you were. He's now your identity. He's your personality. He's your truth. He's your life. Oh, you ought to say something. As He is, so are we. Say it again. As He is, so are. Where? In heaven? No, no. In this world. So now, you're going to do your work. For God so loved, not the church, but the world. Go tell somebody the good news. I love you, church. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our GGG event recording. To get involved with our growing community or connect with us, reach out to us on our website, gggministry.com, or any of our other social media platforms. It's been an honor serving you all, and I pray a blessing and favor.